Welcome back to another episode of Obsessed with Death. If you are joining us as this episode comes out, I hope you had a great holiday and a great new year, and you somehow figured out how to enjoy yourself during all the craziness. Uh, today on the podcast, we have photographer and director Chris Buck. Uh, he has worked with everyone. The list is absolutely insane. He's one of, if not my favorite photographer working. Um, he's worked with a few people who unfortunately have passed away way too soon, and that's kind of why I wanted to have him on the podcast to discuss uh, those interactions and, and uh, working with those certain people. Uh, being Chris Farley, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Elliot Smith, uh, the list goes on and on. But those are the ones we get into because, first of all, that the, there's a Chris Farley photo that I've literally been obsessed with, and that's how I discovered him years and years ago that he took, and he gives the backstory to it, and we get into all kinds of crazy. He it just it filled with an incredible insight and stories. Such a fun episode. I'm so excited for you guys to check it out. I'll, of course tag him on Instagram on all the posts so make sure you're following us uh, at obsessed with death pod uh, make sure if you're listening on I Apple podcasts iTunes is iTunes still a thing I don't know uh, Spotify whatever uh, rate review subscribe give us five stars uh, write something nice tell a friend either way um, thank you for continuing to listen to the podcast and enjoy our episode with Chris Buck So basically, the reason I started this podcast is because I do sort of have this obsession with death. Um, I I think about it probably to an unhealthy amount at some times. I want to talk about it all the time. And it felt like I was just like almost forcing my friends to like want to talk about death. And some of them, it made them uncomfortable. They didn't like talking about it. <laughs> So I I had to find like another outlet to to be able to discuss it and talk about it and and and, and it's it's become such this gr this great uh, you know outlet that I've created for myself because not only do I get to meet and talk to the such interesting people but like I get to learn so much more about it like the amount that I've learned I in the past year of doing this has been incredible and the people I've met and it's just been so much fun so have um, you interviewed any any people like who are like um like funeral directors and things oh, like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, my my first episode uh was a woman who picked up bodies for 2 years and wow. then went from that to running a funeral home and basically you know Gosh. like working with the families. What, what, what do you mean picked up bodies? So basically when a family member passes away at home okay. somebody has to come get okay. them and uh she worked for this company and you know, she kind of described the whole thing, and it, it's so interesting, too. Like, you know, just would drive, like, a very nondescript van. Like, you wouldn't even know. You'd be sitting at a red light, and That's you'd awesome. be next to a... Yeah, it was it was, it was, was pretty interesting, and and, and uh, I, I've interviewed uh, this, this woman who runs a crime scene cleanup company, and, yeah, and that, yeah. was, that was pretty, That's pretty awesome. interesting as well. Yeah, it's, so, yeah, I mean, 
so many interesting people um and, and and you just get like so many you know different perspectives on death i mean i've 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 spoken to people who were diagnosed with brain cancer who were told they had six months left to live like all these different That's types cool. of people wow and it's just it's some of the best conversations i've i've had in my life like it's well, just i i'm i i'll set you up for disappointment today then i'm, I'm just a <laughs> photographer but uh you know, <laughs> no, I, I so, just... so what so what brings you to me then well so before we get to that, I just would sure. like to ask, and this is just kind of how we start each episode, is I, I'm just curious, uh, especially because when I reached out to you, you seemed excited about the topic and you seemed like you wanted to talk about it. What What is your relationship to death? Do you think about it a lot? Do you worry about it? Uh, how do you feel? How do you feel about death in general? Well, um, you know, it's funny when we were preparing for the podcast, I was like, how am I going to get everything in? Like, I have so many different takes <laughs> on it. And, you know, you came to me because I photographed a number of people who have died, who died tragically young. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's understandable that we have these kind of very emotional feelings about them. I think when someone passes away, like, well, re recently, Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu passed away yeah. and I had photographed him. So, mm -hmm. you know, he was in my mind a bit, but he was 90. So it's, it's different when someone who's in the prime of their life and they're working and has young children like Philip Seymour Hoffman passes away. It's very different yeah. than Archbishop Desmond Tutu who's done great work, but his, his work was largely behind him and he'd been retired for about 10 years. It's very different. And so I think that I totally get that. I mean, for me personally, I've, you know, like most people, I have a multifaceted take on it. Um, I'm very aware of how, how much of a role it pl has played in my life and my work as a, as a, you know, as a relatively successful person. I was very driven by having a, a number of uh, near-death experiences. Um, and um, some part of my drive uh, comes from that. Um, I had uh, heart surgery at five weeks old. Um, and I don't remember it, of course, but it's a big part of my kind of self sort of narrative, you know, that my, sure. my parents told me, uh, you know, I nearly died. Um, and if I hadn't had that surgery, which kind of came up last minute, like, uh, well, I'll tell you the story. It was, it was in my, so I was uh, often uh, regurgitating my food and, um, was kind of pale and blue and my mom took me to the doctor and they're like oh he's you know he's hyperactive and they gave you know some pills for me and then some you know one day shortly after i was at my grandmother's my mom was with her mother and her mother was like that child is very sick you you need to take him to the doctor again so she took me to the doctor like just a normal pediatrician and i literally like projectile vomited across the room oh my god a like full-on yeah. Linda Blair territory. <laughs> yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> and only then did the doctor recognize, okay, there's something very, very wrong here. And yeah. then was immediately taken to the hospital where they, I guess, whatever did the battery, or the battery of tests that are always done. And they, yeah. they realized what it was. I had a correctation of the aorta, which was a pinching of the ventricles that go into the heart. And it was causing... Uh, like inflammation and uh, congestion of some, I don't know. It was like the heart was swelled and then the swelling was causing the vomiting. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, a, you know, it was, a, it was a sign of something very bad. And so um, I had um, heart surgery 
which they actually did from the back. So I have this big scar up my back. I mean, the scar is like about this big. Wow. And when I was had the surgery, I was about this big. <laughs> so, yeah, it's you about know, your entire it's size. Actually, of yeah, it's actually big. You know, so the scar is now bigger than I actually was. Yeah. Um, and um, having that as part of my narrative growing up was a, was a definitely like an impetus towards, you know, like my the doctors, my always my doctors told me you you're relatively healthy, just live your life as you like, and I could always do sports. I mean, badly, but I could always do. I was allowed to do what I wanted. I wasn't yeah. impeded. But but that was always. I I can't help but think it was part of my internal narrative of get to it because you won't be around for long. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, and and I've spoken to a few people about this in general. Like when they get that diagnosis or or, or whenever they get. You know, that's that that's to that certain point in their life where they do feel like this could be the end. It does seem to motivate a, a lot of people, it, 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 at least from the interactions I've had. It always seems to, to motivate them. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people that 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 deal and struggle with trying to, you know, continue to live their life, knowing that it could end any moment and it could end shortly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you would hope that. When you get Maybe, something like that in your life, it, when it motivates think about, you. When I think about my like like career trajectory, and look, and you know, I remember being like, I guess I decided to be a photographer when I was like 22, mm-hmm. 20, 23. I was in photo college, but was really more interested in music. But I had no talent for music, and so I would have been in the music business. Mm-hmm. And I did work in the music business kind of peripherally a little bit. I managed a band. And I um, worked for a music paper as a photo editor and a photographer, of course, and um, also put out compilations. I was most active in terms of putting out compilations of original music of local bands in Toronto, where I'm from, and also a few international groups. And doing that, I realized, well, you know, like even when people would give me recordings that weren't that good, I didn't have the vocabulary or I didn't even think I really even had the musical kind of sense to be able to give them feedback like oh you need more reverb or you need you know you need to thicken the sound or whatever it was i just didn't i didn't trust my instincts on that mm-hmm. so i just i you know i thought i had good taste in music but i didn't i didn't have musical talent and it was a real problem because whatever i did i wanted to be you know was, my talent was always in the creative fields and it was my interest was in pop culture so the idea of working in the music business on the business side just seemed like like really a problem so, you know, my strength was in the visual arts. And I think, you know, I, I wasn't even that interested in photography, mm-hmm. but maybe because of the death, near death experience and narrative, mm-hmm. I want to be successful. Like that was my goal was I want to be successful. Whatever I do, I want to kill it. I want to ace it. I want to be like, you yeah. know, in that top group. And so I knew that, I just intuitively knew I need I need to work in something that I was interested in, but I also need to be good at it. Like I need to have an, at least a basic knack for it. Sure. And so going to photography, which my father had worked at Kodak, so there's an easy kind of connection to it, just sort of in terms of getting getting my head around it. And I obviously I was good at the visual stuff. I was good at art in school and such. So that part was easy. And then the um, and then, you know, I, I, I got into photographing pop culture figures. And, and so that was my interest was the pop culture. And then I had the skill in the visual field. 
And so I just learned the photography slowly over time, the technical part. And uh, yeah, so I, I kind of knew I had a reasonable chance of su at success combining my interest and my, and my passion, or sorry, my, sorry my, my, my passion or interest and my talent. And then the third, of course, is I evaluated and saw those at least some kind of marketplace for pictures of celebrities and such. And so combining those three, the three concentric circles, I found my space in the middle where I could potentially thrive. And then threw myself into it and uh, became very passionate about it and passionate about being good at it. And I mentioned that partially because I do think it's fascinating that I wasn't even that interested in photography. I was interested in being successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I would assume through the years you, you you must have developed a love for photography to continue doing it or was it just more of just trying I mean, to I'm become more the, successful i'm interested in the storytelling like for sure like i'm interested in doing it well yeah. and of course i love you know great photography but i don't know i mean uh I mean, you also are getting to meet some of the most incredible and the most interesting people. Yeah, but I mean, if there's that, any... I'm not... My, my relationship to celebrities is very weird. My yeah. agent for 15 years, he, he described it really well. He said, he, said, he said, one of the unique things I bring to the table is that I'm totally pop culture obsessed. Like meeting this person, you know, like, like uh, you know, someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah you know, or, or Keanu Reeves or these people I'm meeting, I'm totally into it. Like, I'm totally like, like really obsessed with pop culture and meeting, you know, occasionally I'll photograph, it's very rare I photograph someone who I'm actually like a, an actual big fan of, because I don't really choose my assignments, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm called and said, hey, do you want to shoot so-and-so? And I say yes or no. And usually I say yes, because I like to work, but, mm -hmm. um, but I do even the idea of shooting with someone who is someone who's famous and who's successful in, you know, as an actor or a musician, even if I don't even know who they are beforehand, just the idea that they're successful in that field is really exciting. And so um, I'll go in and if they're, if they're really good, like I, I photographed Kendrick Lamar a few years ago and I didn't know who he was before the assignment, but I looked mm -hmm. him up and I researched him and watched some videos and I'm like, oh, this guy's like really good. Like yeah. he's clearly one of the best people in this a, genre at this incredible. moment. Yeah, of course. And so I got really excited about that. And I was like, I, I cannot blow this. Like this guy, he's really clearly like a, like a rock star in what well, he's a rap star, but he's like, clearly like, oh, he's, he's an really icon like, right now. he's really like one of the greatest artists in this field right now. And so I got very excited about that. So even though I didn't know who he was beforehand, I, I kind of taught myself like, like, don't blow this because this is an important one, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, but what my agent said was, I'm totally obsessed with the kind of like salivating with my excitement with, with you know, getting to work with someone like this. And yet when I go to make the work, there's an almost detachment or there's a kind of loyalty to the work and to the images and making something that's kind of like a little weird and awkward. And I kind of don't give a shit if they like me. It's just, <laughs> there's this bizarre dichotomy of, both being really super impressed and excited to be in the room with them, but yeah. also kind of not giving a shit if they even like me or like what experience they have. Like I'm there for the picture. I'm yeah. there for the work. I'm not there for 
like making a nice connection to them or having a funny story or, you know, I have plenty of funny stories, but it's, in a way it's like not really about like, like me becoming buddies with Kendrick Lamar. It's about me coming out with like one awesome photo that is going to be great for the audience, right? Yeah. And my client and not necessarily something that he's going to like or care about. And I would, I would assume, and I would love your opinion on this as well, but I feel like that probably if anything relaxes them a little bit and kind of makes enjoying or it probably helps them relax and makes them enjoy working with you more than than yeah. than the the other which would be the photographer who like asks a million questions and is like fanboying out the whole time it, i would assume I, I, that I would be other, no i think the other photographers are more like like i was working with an assistant because I, I always hear about other photographers through assistants and yeah an assistant told me that she was um she worked with this guy, I'm not going to say his name, but she said mm -hmm. um, that he would kind of buddy-buddy up to people, not in that kind of fanboy way, but more to kind of like, you know, you know, like in the normal way that you find commonalities and you find a connection. Sure. But he was, he'd kind of go a little light on the pedal with in making the images and make something that kind of was at least somewhat close to what they might like or might, might be like how they want to be portrayed. So that mm. he can get called when they're doing their next art for their next movie or poster or, or album mm -hmm. cover. So that he'd kind of be kind of cozy up to them to be like their photographer of record to kind of get to get the next job from them and their people. Um, and that's a thing. Like, I get it. But sure. it's just it just my it's not my thing. Like one of my mottos is be prepared to burn bridges. <laughs> that's an interesting motto. Well, it's, it's more of a mentality of like, it's, it's trying to counter in a way like the no, the normal social kind of, uh, you know, the, the weird thing about for making a portrait and if you've never done it, you don't really, you would never think about it, but mm -hmm. you know, obviously, like, as I said, my, I'm trying to make the image for my audience and for me and my client, not for the subject, but that there's, you have to do like a few psychological leaps to get there because the person in front of you who you're now going to be buttering up for an hour and making a connection to and kind of having make creating some kind of relationship to is a person that you're going to now say is the least important person who's going to like for, for actually liking the picture but you have to act like it's the opposite in some sense interesting yeah, that's. I mean, I, I I'm not a photographer at all. I I know nothing about it. But that's 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 a very interesting way of looking at it for sure. I mean, I'm probably not the first to say this, but I think most good photographers are sociopaths. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I get that. I, I get that. It takes a certain element of, um, you know, kind of, uh, like I'm okay with you not liking me. Sure. Yeah, I think that there's something to that, especially when you're trying to be creative and you're trying to create something that's yours. I mean, granted, yeah. you're 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 photographing these people, but they're your photographs. Like yes. that's a, the the most important part is that this is your art. It's they're only in in it for a second, and then and right. then you're moving on to the next. So I do I, mean, I do I, get that that I, mean, I that, do get their viewpoint. Process. Like it's a picture of them, and people will usually, you know. Like, let's go to Chris Farley, for example. I was going to say, please tell me about that, because th that photo shoot is so interesting. I mean, I've been 
I've been obsessed with those photos for as long as I could remember. I mean, I, I was seven years old when they came out, so I, I wasn't aware of them at the time. But sure. when I discovered that photo shoot, I mean, it just it, with the crown on his head, it just blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, there's some of the, there's some of the greatest photographs I, I, I've ever seen of any celebrity. And I love Chris Farley. I've read all the books. I've watched all the things. He's an incredible human being. And I feel like you captured this, like, this, this incredible, just, just tell me about that day and, so, and, and, and what was that like, especially now with, with the way you're explaining how you interact right. with them. So I, I, the, I'm so curious. So the reason I brought him up just this moment is that you're talking about how, um, you know, the, the celebrity is just a, a fraction of a second, but I'm building a body of work. And you know there should be some respect there, but mm -hmm. but when you look at the picture of Chris Farley, you're seeing Chris Farley. You're not seeing Chris Buck. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I made that picture, it was very much Chris Buck. Like, you know, Chris was like super goofy and sweet, and just like you would expect, right? Like, you'd expect at least before he died, which mm -hmm. is you know, like very personable and kind of like introverted and extroverted, like kind of flipping back and forth, but he was, but still like very, his whole demeanor was very sweet and lovable and just very, like I said, like you, like you'd hope he'd be right. Mm -hmm. So when I did that picture, I shot, like I always, this was kind of early on when um, I was, trying to figure out how to be more commercial to like make more of a living because I was just like I had a lot of credit card debt <laughs> like okay stuff. yeah and so um so I did this shoot but one of the things I continued to incorporate because I went through a long period where I kind of just did what I wanted and then I just lost yeah I just had no work so I had to try to maybe assess the marketplace so this shoot was very like funny and goofy. And I don't know if you've seen the other pictures from it where he's like oh, kind yeah. of dancing around and stuff. And so I was, all those ideas were from the magazine, you know, like put a TV on his head and having him um, with something written on his teeth. I might have been an idea because it's so weird. Like having him <laughs> dancing, all that stuff was yeah. all like kind of like, that's what the magazine wanted. And I was like, I'm just going to, so it became part of my process to carve out a tiny portion, maybe 10 to 15 minutes just to do what I wanted, just to mm -hmm. do the shot that I do if it was up to me. So I had this idea of like having him just sort of standing by the window in a t-shirt and the prof styles had brought that paper crown. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, oh, what about this? And I was like, that's cool. Yeah, I love it. Like, I like that it's, you know, kind of, you know, contrast of like modest and, and you know, majestic together you know mm -hmm. royalty and very and, and the modest means together right yeah. kind of fallen i guess i was thinking like fallen king like king lear or something like this yeah and then um and the lighting is very dramatic and but kind of simple and, and he was kind uh, of like the king of comedy at that point too not mm, i wouldn't say that i mean in retrospect it's easy to see that he got a lot of respect from his colleagues and stuff but mm -hmm. you know saturday Night live was failing in fact the picture of him with the TV on his head was using the cover of New York magazine of like, like why SNL is like over. Really? Like, yeah. And apparently Lauren Michaels was really annoyed 
by that cupboard. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can understand that. Um, anyway, so the, um, so I did this setup. I shot like maybe one roll of color and one of black and white, you know, like ten or twelve minutes or something. And uh, when I got the film back, I'm like, you know, this is just ridiculous. Like it's me putting my kind of struggles and my darkness on him, and mm-hmm. he's not. That's not him. It's just this is totally pretentious and. Like this, I can't show, I won't show these. And I, I wasn't making a big pronouncement. I just was like, you know, I didn't show them to the magazine. I just sort of put them away. And then, you know, cut to three years later or whatever. And he has this very tragic death. And, you know, I read these magazine stories, some of which use other pictures of mine. But I never use those, the pictures of him with the, by the window, you know, with the cigarette and the T-shirt and stuff. I'd never really mm-hmm. shown them before. Really? And so only after he died that I pulled him out and go like, whoa, like, wow. Like, because I read the story and I'm like, like, I really nailed it. Like, holy shit. Like, well, yeah. I mean, I assumed when you took those photos that you had more of a sense of like the more darker side of Chris Farley. And that's what you were trying to show. Sure. And it's just so it's so interesting that the fact that this it was literally just you projecting yourself onto him and somehow that that still works so perfectly well and it's something after that occasion because he died in what 89 uh was it 87 no 97 90 sorry 97 yeah 97 yeah so you know i that was one of the times after that i was kind of like you know i should fall i can't i should follow those instincts i shouldn't be shy about and so like there's been weird times since where i've done a kind of weirder, darker image of someone. And then like some crazy story about them come, has come out where I'm like, well, I nailed it. Like I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you know my picture of um, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, it's the Is cover it the... of my second book. It's like him kind of standing awkwardly, kind yeah. of like it's in Florida. So that's it's Florida vegetation. He's like, he was like in the mid nineties. So it's like, yeah, he's grunge. young. He it's grungy. on your Instagram, right? Yeah. 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 So that's a, so, when I did that picture, you know, he was just starting out. He's living with his parents in Florida. Like mm-hmm. he was just starting out. But again, those pictures are about me, but like those pictures show like so much of what he became as an mm-hmm. actor, like tapping into that vulnerability and the weirdness and the awkwardness is so much what he is as an actor that um, it's, 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 it's strange how like, like that picture, like he kind of did something and I said, oh, do that more. Like he kind of had his hands kind of in front of him like this. And I was like, mm-hmm. do that, do that more. You know, kind of lean more. And he did it and it looked great. And um, and then, you know, 20 years later, I do this book, a retrospective. And I was like, I want the cover to be an old picture, but of someone who's still going to be relevant in the future. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, maybe this Joaquin Phoenix thing will work. And I asked his people and they asked him and he said, sure. Because he need permission wow. for a cover, and he yeah. said yes. So, but that's another one where, you know, I mean, he was a little odd, and a little bit yeah. like, kind of something mysterious about him. Yeah, but, I feel like he still has that. Well, I'm just saying that, like, I didn't know him, right? Like, his yeah. persona publicly didn't really exist yet. Gotcha. But meeting him, I got some sense of that. With yeah. with Chris, it wasn't like that though. Chris was like, very like goofy and sweet. At one point, I don't have a lot of specific memories about the day, but one thing that came up was my intern was like switching out the music and uh i think abba was playing like abba gold and mm-hmm. chris comes over to her and he's like do you like abba 
And she's like, uh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I like ABBA too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love They're that. great. <laughs> and, and like, he's, you know, he's just one of those people like who, like I saw him around a couple of times after that, like, you mm-hmm. know, line for a movie on a date or something. And I probably said hi, like, because I, if I've sort of got someone, I usually say hello if I see them around. Although it's always yeah. a little awkward because they're like, who are you? <laughs> I have to remind <laughs> them, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, it, it's just such an interesting photo. Um, and of course, I, I, lo- I, lo- I love it even more now, just hearing more of the backstory to it. But I just remember, again, like just seeing that photo and thinking, man, th- whoever took this, because I, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you're aware that photo is just all over the internet. Like that photo is everywhere now. And a lot of times you don't get any credit that there's no credit for it. It's just one of those photos that just goes, I think, you know, just went everywhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just remember seeing that photo and being like, well, this is like, it's I, I can't, I can't imagine ha- like anyone, you know, capturing a better representation of like who Chris Farley is. And again, this comes from me, you know, not really getting to know who he was until after he died and and sure. and from interviews i've read and but, you know but, documentaries but that, that kind of thing happens very very rarely and i think you know one of the reasons the picture works is that all the little narrative elements like if you didn't know who he was it would yeah. still be an interesting picture uh, absolutely you know, the, no no it's a great know, photo the, the kind of you know just the, his his posture and expression and the cigarette with the t-shirt and the crown yeah. it all kind of Really, in the in the uh, even oftentimes when it's used as cropped, so even the full frame version where it's all space around him, mm-hmm. just it, that kind of speaks of a certain kind of confidence. I think too that I was trying to kind of figure out my work at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has this huge amount of space around him, and it's a square image where he's just really like he's like takes up about a quarter of the frame, mm-hmm. um, and so it ends up having this artistry as well as the little narrative stuff, and then you know his story. It really is one of the things where everything just kind of came together perfectly. But, you know, it's, it was a bit of an accident. No, making it wasn't an accident, but all those other elements I can't control. Sure. I, have even, I have an even better example like that. Mm-hmm. You know my picture of Donald Trump? I Yes, yes, I've seen it. So it, Donald Trump standing next to a mirror that's sort of um, various vertical slats mm-hmm. of mirror. So that it's him staying there looking pretty normal. But then you see his reflection is broken into like pieces, like shards. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and you know, when I made that again, it was kind of about me like feeling broken or kind of discombobulated. And, you know, Trump was a well-known figure. He was like a TV personality and like real estate guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I shot it 10 years before he ran for president. Yeah. But then when he became president, the picture took on all this meaning and layers yeah. and literally even to me even though i made it the picture looked even different to me interesting. and i think that there's something interesting about you know like the context can really change how we see things yeah i mean absolutely i mean obviously it's like when you were doing that photo shoot who could even comp- imagine what would would happen with with someone like trump i don't think anybody was sure. going to predict that you know this is where we would be with that guy at this time in history totally. it's just no who no who could predict that it's like when but, you listen to the song um happiness is a warm gun yeah sure it's yeah like, fuck like that is <laughs> it just because you, you you kind of forget and then you play it and you're like oh my because he actually sounds really excited saying it too right uh-huh. And it's just like, oh my God, that guy was like, he was assassinated. That's crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Um, you know, I've never really thought about it like that, but but that that is something I think that you can't obviously you can't really account for. It's just you're going to you're going to do the work you're going to do and then um, you know, especially obviously especially with like photography, it, it, things could take on a whole new meaning. Right. Just uh But just, I do think there is a lesson there in the, in the sense that I think you have to do whatever work you do, you have to do it as if it will matter in 20 years or 50 years or whatever yeah. that if you, I think people often kind of, especially if they're, they're pretty like well into their career and good at what they do, you can phone it in and it's fine. And the clients are totally happy. Yeah. But you, to making those epic pictures, you know, you have to really, you have to do better than what your client wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like the, like the Donald Trump picture and the Chris Farley one, both were like, not really part of the like the client ask like the trump one i photographed him before and i brought a print of the previous shoot and i gave it to him and he's like what's this i'm like i want to buy another five minutes with you he's like okay and that's why i got that shot with the mirror and mm-hmm. it was it was just kind of like an add-on you know so i think that there's something about doing the shot for you or doing going the extra mile in what in what you're passionate for that's likely to be the stuff that people ask you about in 10 years yeah i mean i think i think your work has proven that for sure that's that's really interesting i think that um you know people could i i think people could use that advice in in a lot of different aspects of their life for sure but photography that's that's super interesting um I know we, we spoke about a few different people that you worked with. I would love to hear um, you, you share a little bit of a, of a short story on your Instagram with uh, your photos with Elliot Smith. I would love to hear more about that. I, you mentioned in uh, the Instagram post just how he, he seemed shy and, and sort of like, um, you know, I, I don't I don't know what the right word would be, but just, you know, not somebody who, who necessarily enjoyed being photographed. What was there's that experience a, like? There's even a line in one of his songs about, because uh, I was a fan. I knew his work before I went to shoot him. Um, and there's even a line about like pictures always getting it wrong or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I hear that, I'm always like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, he, what happened was the record company came to me. I don't usually do pictures for record companies. It's not, I usually do like, either proper advertising or I do celebrities for magazines. Mm-hmm. So it's unusual to do something for the record company, but that's what that one was. And they were like, we want to bring someone in. Well, ironically, you're going to laugh when you hear this. We want to bring someone in who can build a bond with Elliot and you can do multiple shoots of them over <laughs> years. Like, well, oh, I'm the right guy for that. That's all what I'm about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, of course, I didn't do that. Yeah, And I found these amazing locations in New Jersey because he lived in Brooklyn at the time. And they're like, find like a local, you know, cafe and shoot him there and maybe do some shots in his home. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, I want to shoot somewhere super cool and visual. So I had a couple of friends in New Jersey, one who had like an empty pool and the other who had this old farmhouse that was like, they're just beginning to renovate. And so I went and scouted there and I'm like, let's go here. And they're like, oh, okay. So he was annoyed that I was making him go so far yeah. and he didn't really want to be doing it. Like he wanted to make it quick and easy. And I was like, I was more focused on the pictures and, and getting something I thought would be dynamic and visual and really cool. Um, you know, once he was there, he kind of settled into it and he was fine, but he had made dinner plans so that we couldn't shoot long. Like we basically like I'll shoot until the light's gone 
yeah. then I'm happy to stop. But you know, we had to end at like, I don't know, you know, it was, I think, I don't remember what, what time of year it was, but we had to end like pretty early, you know, before the sunset. So I was not happy about that. But, you know, he purposely, I think he kind of did a bit as a bit of a fuck you that he made mm. early dinner plans so yeah. that we couldn't keep going. But, you know, I mean, I knew it, as I said, I knew his work already um, just because I was into music and um, I had a couple albums before the one that mm -hmm. was, uh, I was called to, to shoot for. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it was, it was awkward. Like, because he clearly didn't want to be there. Yeah. And it's weird when you're a fan, you know, and someone that clearly already doesn't like you. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. I mean, you know, you learn to get by it. I mean, I do listen to him still. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would assume, you know, he obviously was not, uh, you know, the the friendliest or the happiest guy. It didn't seem like, you know, he sure. obviously was dealing with a lot. So I don't know if I don't know if I would take too much of that personally. It seemed yeah. like he just kind of liked to do his own thing. And I'm sure, you know, the guy just wanted to play music. And then all of a sudden he yeah. gets like to this this level of like stardom, or, you know, to the point where he's like having to do these photo shoots and do all these things that I'm sure he, he never wanted to do. Well, I do think he wanted to be a star. Yeah. I think that did you see that documentary about him? I didn't know. Yeah, you should check it out. I mean, it okay. gives it, it gives more context. I do remember at the time, you know, even when I photographed him reading that he he didn't think of himself as a f like folk or alt folk or alt country or anything like that. he mm -hmm. said i'm i'm a i write pop songs um and i, I thought that was really interesting it, it yeah. showed something of his mindset i think that he just uh i think he you know he he had mixed feelings you know like anyone he was arrogant and also self-conscious and you know um didn't he lacked confidence and yet was arrogant at the same time, like a lot of people, you know, yeah. uh, in that kind of field. I mean, um, I, he clearly had a self-destructive streak, um, yeah. but that was evident even then. I think he drank a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's kind of a mess. I mean, my, my wife saw him later and said it was really like sad, like just he couldn't yeah. remember lyrics and, you know, things like this. Yeah, that's always that's always a shame. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, he's a young man, you know? Yeah, 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 very young. Um, the the only other one that I that I, I I really was interested in talking about, and then obviously, if there's any if there's any stories or anything that that you think would be worth talking about, I'd love to hear it. But I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is is one of you know I think the greatest actors of all time. I mean, I, I absolutely um, adore the man. I mean, he was just he's the best. He's he, he's in some of the the best. Uh, you know, some of my favorite movies. He, he's just, he, he seemed like such a genuinely good person who just was, you know, dealt this disease and this addiction. Um, the photos that you've taken, uh, I think, do a really good job of like, I, I, obviously, you know, I don't, you know, you know, you don't know the guy. You just, you, you, you see the interviews, you see what you know, the movies, whatever it is, but. I, I felt like you like shined like this like beautiful light on him. Oh, thank you. I'm and... not sure my pictures really do a great job. I mean, he because well, I I did I shoot. Oh, okay, I will. I'll take it. <laughs> I I actually shot with him three times, mm -hmm. and the second time was with John C. Riley. I don't know if you saw that one. It's against oh, a I... blue background. Um, I'll I think it's I'll have to double. I mean, I love John C. Riley. That sounds amazing. I don't. I, I think I, I, I did. Would, uh, I they did some broad off Broadway thing together, mm -hmm. 
But um, I, I like Philip a lot. But the, the funny thing is, I actually ran into him, I guess, maybe after the third shoot. Uh, I was running some errands in New York. And it was like a Saturday afternoon. I was just like trying to get some stuff done. Mm-hmm. And I popped into like this little hot dog joint um, in NoHo, you know, just north of Houston. And mm-hmm. um, and I ordered my hot dog. I, you know, was waiting for it, I guess. And then Philip walks in. And he was, um, didn't mean one other person in there. It was like one o'clock on a Saturday or something. Mm-hmm. There was one other person in there, maybe very quiet, low key place. And it was like literally a hot dog joint. It wasn't like a restaurant even. Yeah. And so he comes in and he, um, so I went over and said, hello. And, you know, I'd photographed him a few times already. And he'd already told me previously that that first session I did with him, that you've seen most of the pictures that you've seen are from that mm-hmm. was one of his favorite sessions. That's um, amazing. I think because it was just whatever we got along. Well, I think yeah. I had lots of ideas and he's a genuinely creative person and yeah. was a real actor. So he, he liked playing different roles in a way that we did. We did, we did lots of different weird stuff. And you know, we were, did lots of playful, weird stuff. And he didn't do everything, but he did lots of stuff I asked him to do. And he was like, you know, he was pretty well, like I knew who he was. And I remember I'd seen him in Happiness, which I loved that movie. And so we have talking about that. And I, I was telling him how much I loved his role in that and how, it was a very like the character really spoke to me and so i think we really bonded over that and so we had a nice time but anyways we were at the hot dog joint and he was literally at the height of his fame like it was bizarre looking back yeah and amazingly what i did was um i you know i had a, so we you know both of our food came out we sat together and we we ate our lunch and we chatted yeah and um he was telling me about how so he had he had, what was it? He had just won the Oscar. Was he nominated or just won the Oscar for Capote? Okay. And and in 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 researching it, he found a bunch of stuff about Richard Avedon, the great legendary photographer. So he is telling me all about this, you know, because I'm a photographer, he knew yeah. I'd be interested. And he is talking about like, yeah, so I can't really do the voice, but of course he does Capote's voice perfectly. You know, having yeah, yeah. Don's a piece of shit and you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and yeah. so he's doing this for me, and I'm just like, oh my god, like this is amazing. Like, cause mm. he, cause he had these, he had these um, audio recordings of Avedon, or of of Capote talking about Avedon, and so he's going on, he's telling this story, and it's really funny, and it's really sweet. And uh, so I say to him, uh, I'm like, look, you know, congratulations, like. I, I guess he'd want it because I was like, congratulations, this is great. Like, yeah. well-deserved, like, you know, always very happy to see success for you. I said, but look, people do this thing after they win an Oscar and they go out and they get, they, they, they take the movies, it's like the big paycheck, you know? So don't do that, okay? Like, remain <laughs> a real artist. Yeah. yeah. And there's, a, there's like a pause and he looks at me and says, my next film is Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> oh I, I love that and i was like okay so what's really funny is uh no i don't know if it was mission possible two or three anyways whatever yeah. when i got home i went to my wife and i'm like you'll never get you know my mom's like my wife's at home and she's like you know hanging out yeah and i'm like you'll never guess who i saw i ran into and she's like who am i phil's more and she's like get the hell out of here so I tell her all about it. So I, I'm, I don't know what 
made me do this, but I actually recorded me telling her everything that happened between us. Interesting. So because I, because oftentimes I come home from shoots and tell her funny stories of what happens, right? Yeah. And I try to write down all the funny stories from shoots just for my own like record, you know? Yeah. And just, it's just fun to tell them. But this is the only reason why I remember the story so well as I had the transcription of me telling my wife about how, like what we talked about and, you know, yeah. talking in detail about the Capote stuff and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was, a, he was a genuine artist. I mean, I, I, as I said, I don't feel like I really captured him properly, but um, I, li- I love that people love those pictures. And, um, you know, he's someone who, you know, what, I, what can I say? I'm like, I miss him when I go to the movies. Like, you oh, know, know. He, he's too. an artist who's, you know, as soon as, as soon as he died, I was like, oh man, what a loss. Like what a loss for yeah. art, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it was, yeah, devastating to lose. Um, and to have a story where you're sharing, you're eating a hot dog and, and giving him acting advice, <laughs> career advice, it's absolutely incredible. I love that yeah, so much. You. Um, just really quick, what what do you feel like you did wrong? Why don't you feel like you captured him properly? Well, you know, in talking about like the Chris Farley shoot or the Donald Trump one, there's a way in which all those pieces come together. The visual, the narrative, the way the narrative connects to their, their narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a narrative in the storytelling of the picture, but there's also the narrative of their lives and the culture is really getting all those things to come together is very difficult. And with, mm. with Philip, I feel like there's not, because the thing is photography is one image. You can look at like five images from that one session from 1999, the one that he liked and you, I think that you went, mm-hmm. you're referencing. Yeah. And it's, you get a sense of him, you get a sense of his playfulness and his artistry and his kind of willing to go to dark places. You can see all those things among, you know, four or five pictures, but there's no one picture that it's like, like this is the one that tells the story. And I think photography should be, it's aiming to do that, to tell the whole story in one picture. And do you feel like there's other artists that you've actually captured that? And was it intentional? Does it, does it happen I mean, more unintentional? Well, it's, always in, it's always intentional, but it's- Well, sure, but I mean, it could also, I feel like you could also look back and be like, like again with the with the Chris Farley photos, like uh, you know th- that was like for you, and then it, it captured this whole other sure. side of him. Well, part of it is luck. I mean, yeah. not just luck in terms of their narrative, but also luck in terms of the shot coming together. I mean, yeah. One, one a big part of my practice with shooting celebrities is I will, I'll literally do five different things, mm-hmm. very different looks, like super close, black and white, yeah. you know, something that's very conceptual, something that's like lightly conceptual, something that's more quiet and introspective something that's very very pulled back and environmental and they'll well one thing i realized over time is that usually i'm actually still trying to get towards one picture like it's sort of you know there's like there's many ways to skin a cat and i think that you for me part of my practice is trying the different ways to get at the one shot like i'm still trying to get that one thing that gets at the kernel of what this person's about, or at least what's what about them speaks to me. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know which way is going to work, and so yeah. I try the different ways. And in a way, like the, the Chris Farley picture is like fairly conceptual, and yet mm-hmm. it it doesn't when you look at it, it doesn't feel heavy handed, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like like 
there's all these goofy props and the picture's not funny or like just no the narrative is not like what is the narrative like i guess i can say like the fallen king but you know i that 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 may not be other people's take right and so i think that you i think that trying things different ways is a way for me to kind of figure it out and and i don't even know like i have a general sense of what works and what doesn't and obviously I've, i've gotten better at it over time but there's a way in which I think oftentimes the best picture of any session is kind of, um, I can't predict it, I guess is what I'd say. In the sense that it might be the the props I bring align with who they are and that therefore things come together or it could be um, that they're now warmed up and so they are like, they're in a good place. Mm-hmm. Maybe their, their lunch is finally digested or um, <laughs> it could be that now you know they they have spent enough time with me or something i said or did made them feel open and ready and so they open up and they deliver you know i think oftentimes the best pictures really are about when the person is ready to be open to me and you know a lot of it is me trying to coax that out of them right i mean that's really what a portrait a good portrait photographer coaxes the portrait out of the subject and it's it's a it's a song and dance and i'm trying different things and i'm throwing different things at you and seeing kind of what you respond to but but always we always in a subtle way right mm-hmm. if i did it very if i did it very broadly then you'd be like what's with this guy like he's he's throwing everything in the kitchen sink at me you know yeah and, I, and oftentimes i do do that but i'm doing it over time and i'm you know, feeling out what's going to work and what's not. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I do research on people is that mm-hmm. I've realized that it's as much about w- knowing where not to go as where to go. You know, like I'll read about someone, I'll realize, oh, you know, maybe, you know, their father passed away when they're young. Like, I'm like, okay, don't go there. Like, this is going to be, or do go there or whatever. But, but no, this is, this is a sensitive spot, you know? And so knowing mm-hmm. that stuff can help me to navigate. And, you know, maybe, you know, a lot of it's obviously unconscious in my mind. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I think this will work. Let's do it. And we, and I ask, I say, well, you know, I think we should do X. And mm-hmm. then they can say yes or no, you know. You, uh, you mentioned in um, one of our emails going back and forth that you just shot the DVD cover for Dick Johnson is dead. Uh, it's on Netflix. I watched it last night absolutely loved it i mean at times it was really hard to watch just in the sense of like how perfect she captured just like the love for a parent and you could just tell like how they're it's just this is her, this is not only her father but it's it's her best friend and if 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 you're listening you don't know obviously it's it's basically this this i i, I don't have her name in front of me um yeah, kirsten johnson so her father basically was getting older he was he was suffering from dementia or alzheimer's was it alzheimer's um it's yeah i'm not Old sure age. Alzheimer's exactly, but yeah and he, his memory was kind of going a little and bit. also to give a little more additional background yeah her mother had died in a similar way a yeah. number of years before and she had real regret about not capturing something of her yeah yeah personality yeah, she... and life before she deteriorated so yeah. in a way she was almost like she she did a correction from that like 
Uh, yeah, it's it's so interesting because it's basically a documentary about her her father getting older and and moving in with her, and at the same time, like the the trailer I felt like was 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 so great just because it it it, it seemed like this almost like this lighthearted thing, and then when you watch it, you're just like it, like she sucks you in so good, but it, basically she's like let's make a movie about all the different ways you could die. So it's like they they do these silly things, and she's got them in Halloween costumes and. It's it's I'm so glad you mentioned it and I would love to hear we're getting we're getting close to an hour here already so I don't sure. want to take up too much of your time but I I would you know I I think I think really what I would just like to talk to you about that is um you know it's such an interesting way to deal with everything she was dealing with again her father getting older her her not being able to um you know her not having captured more of her mother and 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 regretting that but uh i thought it was just such a beautiful way to deal with death you know like well, in a funny it, way like she's both fighting death by capturing him like putting him in a bottle yeah like literally before he's gone yep so she's she's like you know she's not she's she'll permanently have him right in that form yeah. and yet she's also facing his and her mortality by yeah. by by looking it in the face and i think you know one that was a big takeaway for me was that because the film is quite inviting and lovely and funny it's not a heavy movie i mean you're right it's emotional at points because you've you fall oh it's it. yeah you fall it's very fun well. but yeah, yeah. the but dad is just he i mean that smile he had was just like it it, it it, it was it was a lot it was he he was he seemed like such an incredible father like obviously the, the way yeah. she took care of him and yeah. he just seemed like such an incredible person and you know it was just whew, i'm sorry i didn't it's but yeah no no yeah it's good i mean the the way she's facing the inevitability of death and and inviting us on that journey with her i yeah. think is so valuable and so important i mean it sounds cheesy to say the movie's important but I think in our culture, uh, over time, maybe since, you know, maybe post World War One, I, I don't know, maybe that was such a horrible time with the Spanish flu and World War One was so horrifying and destructive and like just it was such a dystopian time for people that we kind of, as the 20th century moved on, we just pushed away all those glimpses in the the way that we used to kind of um, be present with death. Oh yeah, it doesn't that. exist now. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't exist no. now. And you you see it in some traditions, like in the Jewish tradition. They you know they they if you are, if you're a practicing Jew, you sit shiva, which yeah. in, which involves you literally having to wear worn out clothing, unbathed on a on a low chair, and have people come to your house and visit you in that state. I mean, it mm -hmm. it literally forces you to mourn. Which yeah. is a beautiful thing, and yeah. I've I've you know I've been to one shiva, and it was really like a miraculous thing to 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 be at because, you know, I mean the first funeral. I guess I've been to funerals of maybe some like aunts and uncles or something, but when I was much younger. But my father passed away a few years ago, and it really was the first funeral I've been to in like forty years or something. It was and it was really wow. intense. Yeah. It was my father too, but sure. it's just I just had, didn't have that experience much, 
and I, you know, we don't see dead bodies. Like, it's just not a thing. Like I, aside from my father, I can't think of, of if I've ever seen a dead body of a human. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and yeah, that's it's amazing it's... because if you think of even like a hundred years ago, you know, the 1920s, I think most, you know, I'm in my mid fifties. Most people in their mid fifties have seen like a, at least a handful of dead bodies in their life. Yeah. You know, whether it be like parents or, um, you know, like an accident, you know, yeah, or even I, just no open casket funeral. Like if, if you, you know, you yeah. have relatives that pass and they do. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's come up on this podcast multiple times and I've had conversations with different people about how it really is, you know, it's, it's almost, you know, non-existent at this point. Um, and I think a big part of it is, is just because, yeah, people don't want to think about it. People don't want to deal with it. And I think it's unfortunate because I think there's, there's a lot to benefit from, um, you know, recognizing death and, and, and truly like, you know, making it a part of, of life in general is, um, you know, again, it's, it's a part of the reason why I love doing this is because I, I like to have those conversations. I want to talk about it. I want it to be a part of thing. I think it's so important, even if it's scary at times and it's terrifying. It, oh, dying yeah. is scary. I mean, no is, one's, no one's going to argue that. Yeah. It but, is the, uh, existential fear, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's not, it's not an easy thing to talk about. I totally get it, but you know what? It's like, again, from doing this, it, I, I think it, it, it helps. And I think people that listen to it, I think it helps. And it's uh, and then and then again these movies that are being made like um you know it, it helps and I, I i was i was just doing like some some internet googling there of of what's been going on and i believe he's he's still alive i saw a photo of of dick uh on instagram <laughs> oh yeah all right sorry go watch it on netflix it's it's great dick johnson is dead the um you know one thing i i'm curious your take on this yeah when COVID hit a couple of years ago yeah, and people started freaking out. Yeah. One of my first thoughts was, Oh, wow. For a lot of these people, this is the first time they've realized they're going to die one day. Oh yeah. It's just getting shoved right in their face. Well, what's interesting is I started doing my first episode of this podcast was recorded right before COVID. And I, and then I stopped doing it because I felt like it was inappropriate. I, I, I felt like, <laughs> I, was like the nose. I, I can't, I can't, I can't be doing a podcast about yeah. death. You know, I, I think the first episode came out in like May or something. And then it was yeah. like, no, I gotta That's stop. Awesome. I, can't, I can't do this. I, it, it, so I felt, I felt like we're going to have to put a pause on this. Yeah. There's more, more, it's all death. Everything, yeah. everything you see on the news, everything on your phone, it's all death. There, it's, it's not, this is not the time to do that. Yeah. And yeah, I think it, uh, it made a lot of people. I mean, I, I know people that it, it literally changed their lives. It literally changed the way they do things. Uh, I, I haven't, I quit smoking cigarettes. I haven't smoked a cigarette in almost two years because of COVID. Yeah, it's awesome. like all these things. I think it really did, yeah, shine this like horrible light right directly in people's eyes. Like, hey, you're gonna die one day, and it could happen in the blink of an eye. It could be tomorrow. You go to the grocery store, that could be it. Like, yeah. it's this is how fragile things are. And again, I think some people took that, 
one one way. Some people took it another. Some people, I think, just continued living their lives and comp- and just kept doing what they've been doing their whole lives and ignored it completely. And and are, that's just the fear. And yeah, it's it's such an interesting and scary and weird and terrible and exciting time to be alive. <laughs> and you know, it's like, look, yeah, COVID's horrible and and all the death obviously is terrible. People are losing family and and it's scary. And yeah, it's it's. It's awful, but it's like this is this is unfortunately the world we live in. And there's nothing you can really do about it. But yeah, I think definitely this is. But, but as someone who is obviously you know history, and you're you're interested in history. Yeah. I mean, our times now, which are a little less safe than they were two years ago, mm-hmm. are still way safer than they were a hundred years ago. Oh, for sure. And, phenomenally safer than they were 500 years ago oh my gosh of course so i do think there's a kind of and i think it's funny you know we don't hear a lot about how people in other parts of the world are dealing with covid and i think part of it is because in a lot of places that are poorer covid is one of many problems they're dealing with yeah it's definitely not it's probably not the the, on the top of the list yeah there's there's other concerns like eating might be a concern sure yeah clean water is a concern for most of the world i mean it's like it's it's there's so many there's so many other issues and i mean even i mean uh you know addiction and and suicide all these other things depression like all of that that's just as dangerous as COVID is, I mean, yes. obviously they're different, sure. but they're still just as dangerous. And I yes. think, you know, I, I'm sure if you look up the numbers, that they got to be pretty close on on you know, uh, you know, overdose and and, and deaths related to to now, addiction. Well, now, now, well, now it's going to overtake it because the COVID deaths are. are- getting down to next to nothing. Yeah, which again, we we're so lucky. We live in a time where they could create something so yeah. quickly and, and yeah. so effective it's like you know, we're we're so we're so lucky and but i do think that like i do worry that it's like a it's a harbinger of of darker times to come because in the past epidemics and pandemics have been maybe along with war they've been a way for nature to kind of clear the deck a little bit mm-hmm. and kind of open things up right sure and, and now there's a lot less war yeah. Uh, like these less big, less big wars. I think this was and, the first holiday in like twenty years that were or twenty five years that we that we haven't been in in a ongoing mm-hmm. war. Yeah, but it's, the wars we have are so small. Like sure. the number of fatalities, even among civilians, is, was almost nothing. Yeah, you yeah. know. So so it's um, it's a it's a peaceful time, and we found a we created a vaccine for this yeah. um, this virus. So I do worry, like, if this virus was meant to kind of clean the decks a little bit and kind of get rid of some of the, yeah. the softer people or whatever, <laughs> then it didn't do its job because we kind of did a workaround. And there'd yeah. be something, nature has something bigger in store for us because we're, we keep creating obstacles for this cleanup job that nature is trying to do. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, this thing obviously keeps mutating and it's not done yet. So there's still there's still plenty of time. Oh, it'd be much bigger than coronavirus. I mean, I'm talking like, oh, okay, Yeah. Something much more, um, you know, could be a climate disaster, could be nuclear war, like 
could be e. alien invasion. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> I would, I would love, I, I would love the alien invasion, please. I mean, bring that up. Another one of my water, one of my one mottos I live by is you can always get worse. Oh, <laughs> yeah, of, absolutely. It, 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 it definitely can. And I think it is. I mean, you mentioned, you know, uh, climate change. I was just reading a story the other day about a they called it a rare winter wildfire that, that happened in Colorado just a, just a few days ago that I think is still going on right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the I think wildfires is going to be the next thing for sure. Mm -hmm. It's it's. We're lucky in the sense that we can evacuate and we have our ways of sort of dealing with them, but it's going to become overwhelming for sure. Yes. Well, I mean, already we're terrible at fires. I mean, these fires start yeah. up and then, you know, they're, they're usually they're put out by nature, right? I mean, it's not yeah. like our, as much as the people who are firefighters are, they work very hard, but we don't have the technology to deal with this. No, of course not. And, and again, th there's going to be more of them. They're going to get worse. Um, it's it's going to affect, I, I think, food supply and it's going to it's going to have a lot of different uh you know different effects on a lot of different people so yeah i think um i, I do think that you know these 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 like scary viruses definitely you know the, the earth is an organism and is sometimes you got to hit the reset button you know sometimes you got you got to clear you got to clear some space yeah and we're we're not doing any justice to this planet i mean we're destroying it so it's like w eventually it's it, it has to do something to protect itself and uh there, there's another you know that's yeah I, I think um if we're lucky you know we might get out <laughs> before the real shit storm starts but these next couple of generations are 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 definitely not uh they're not getting put on the on the best path, unfortunately. No. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's 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 scary and and you know uh, I, I for some reason I worry about I of course I care about climate change and I and I worry about all those things, but I, I'm I think me just like most people I'm like I it, it just becomes all internal and like self involved and I'm just like how am I gonna die? When am I gonna you know? It's like yeah, I, don't, I think that's reasonable. I think if you're yeah. otherwise, it's like when I take someone's picture and they're like. I'm so sorry that I'm so concerned with how I look. I'm like, if you weren't concerned with how you looked, then you would have like mental health issues. Like yeah. it's, it's for you not to be obsessed with your own death would make you like a, like a, <laughs> like a socio psychopath. Like you, you know, yeah. if you're more concerned about other people's deaths, then, then you've got some real problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think, I think that that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a good way of looking at it, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it is so crazy to think about all the different ways. And I'm, I'm currently working on having somebody come on the podcast because I really want to talk about planetary defense, because that's like a big one that I think is super interesting. Um, you know, just a giant meteor just coming and just wiping us out like that. I mean, that is very possible and has happened before. It's yes, not like it okay. hasn't happened. Yeah. So I would love to, to 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 I've reached out to a few different people. Hopefully that'll be the next episode but yeah nice. it's just yeah there's just so many different there's so many fun ways we could all just die instantly yeah. so yeah it's pretty wild um i do i do uh like to end on somewhat of a more fun light-hearted note um something that was brought up on on actually the first episode that i did 
uh, this woman that I spoke to who, who runs a funeral home and, and something that's sort of become more popular um, at funerals is playlists. People have either started creating them themselves or people create them for the funeral. But is there like one or two artists or a song specifically? Is there anything that you would want played at your funeral? Um, you know, it's no so pressure. You bring but, this up because when yeah. I was in college, my friends and I made up a um, an, like a, a little audio like ad, like an ad for mm -hmm. the radio. Yeah. And maybe it was like supposed to be for like a, I guess it was a cassette tape and yeah. it was called, it was a, it was like making a playlist for funerals. It was called I love it. Music for Dead People. <laughs> and I love it. And 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 in it we like we play little clips of different songs. Yeah. Um, like from the damned and Joy Division and I don't remember who else, mm -hmm. but they're all like death themed, you know, things. Sure. Yeah. Um uh I God, you know, I, I wonder if I could find it for you. Because I know I have the tape. I would you, love to you hear that. Include it in the pod, in the podcast. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I, I just don't know how I transfer it. It's literally like an audio cassette. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a cassette player. Mm. Yeah, that would um, that would be a little difficult. But still, I mean, that's amazing that you guys are doing that. I mean, what a well, fun, yeah, what an interesting you know, thing to be doing. Yeah, it was funny. You know? I mean, no, you I know, we always imagine like we'd have Joy Division playing at our funeral, but in yeah. the end, I think I'd want. I think I'm more traditional and I'd want to be, I just want, you know, I'm Catholic. I'd probably want a Catholic funeral with mm -hmm. just regular old Catholic music, like, okay, you know, organ and yeah, sing a couple hymns and then, you know. Even if there was like, maybe like a, like a close family gathering afterwards or anything, is there anything that you would you know, want people to play or celebrate oh, you your know, life to? Well, I did recently did a list of, um, my favorite 50 songs because mm -hmm. um, I guess it was like a response to that um, Rolling Stone 500 best songs. Oh yes. Yeah. And yeah. so a friend of mine runs a music critic website. And so he asked a bunch of us, Hey, make some of your list of your 50 favorite songs. Mm -hmm. And so and they could play that. They got to play my 50 favorite songs. And there's a lot <laughs> okay. of death oriented songs. It actually yeah. opens with level Terrace apart from joy division. So it's a perfect opener. Perfect. There you go. Awesome. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm such a fan of your work and the fact that you were willing to come on and, and talk about this is, is very exciting and I can't wait for people to hear the episode. Yeah.